God. Every single time it seems like there is no way out or there is no way, God, you make a way. And we trust in that today. We trust in your promises that, that God, you made a way for us to get to you, and that was through your son, Jesus Christ. And that promise, God, it has never failed us. And it won't fail us today, and it won't fail us tomorrow. God, we have the promise of your son, Jesus Christ. And through that sacrifice that was made for each and every one of us, God, we have the opportunity, we have the chance to be in your presence forever. So, Lord Jesus, today I pray that you speak to somebody's heart. Maybe there's somebody here that's doubting. Maybe they don't know anything about Jesus. And today is the first time that they've ever heard the name of Jesus. Well, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in this place. That, God, Christians would be comforted and they would be restored and renewed and they'd be challenged, God, and those that aren't believers now. God, that they're just trying to understand what it means and they're counting the cost. I pray that today, God, they would see that you're here to rescue them. Lord Jesus, speak. Speak now as we open up your word, as we see what you have to say to us. I pray that you would speak in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we're starting a new series today. Um, Just so you know, we have not given up on the book of Acts. Uh, We will be going back to that series, but I like to take breaks between uh, maybe four or five or six sermons so that we can uh, check out something new, and then we'll go back, and you'll have time to digest both sets, you know, Old Testament and New Testament, so that's the reason we're doing this. Um, we're going to be talking about a dude today. His name is Daniel. Uh, a lot of you have heard of Daniel. Uh, where did you hear about Daniel? Lion's Den. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Willie. I heard that right out of the corner of this ear, like Lion's Den. Uh-huh. And so every time you colored a coloring sheet and, and uh in, in Sunday school class or wherever it was that you were when you were a little kid, you always saw Daniel. He had like a beard, and he was like this old man, and there would be like a lion, and he's like doing like this, and the lion's just like, you know, cowering down. He, his mouth is shut and all that kind of stuff, right? So I, I want you to know that that, that, that is very true, um, and, and we're going to get to that, okay? But there's a lot of stuff in Daniel that happens before that ever happens, all right? And we have got to talk about it. We've got to understand it. I know that when we went through the, uh, the study of Joseph, I know that people, like the, the kids back there were sick and tired of hearing about Joseph. I mean, they were like, look, I know everything there is to know about Joseph. But I think it was beneficial because what we heard, you know, six months later was there would something come up and they'd be like, oh, yeah, I remember when Joseph went through that. I remember this is what happened in Joseph's life. So I know that this stuff is sticking in their hearts, and that's why it's so important. But I want you to know something, that when we start here in Daniel, uh, Daniel is young. So I'm going to get some assistance here. Noah, do you mind coming up here with me for just a second? How old are you, Noah? 13? Okay. This, this, this is Noah Caldwell. This is a buddy of mine. And this dude, I hope that when I grow up one day, I'll be as spiritually mature as this dude right here. He is an awesome guy. I promise you that. But I want you to think about something. So are you nervous right now? You're not nervous, are you? I'm not. You're not? You're good? Okay, good. Uh, You run track, right? Right. Long distance running, cross country? Yes. Yes? Okay. All right, yeah. Uh, So he's also, like, got way more endurance than I got, you know. So anyway, but when we start in Daniel, uh, I want you to know that Daniel is about this age. This is about how old he is, okay? He's not the long-bearded, gray old man when we start in Daniel. This is about how old he is. He's 13, 14, 15 years old when we start in the book of Daniel. So you can have a seat, Noah. So when you think of Daniel, you think about where we are, I want you to think about Noah here. Who, By the way, he's all ripped up. We're not going to get him to take his shirt off or anything, but this dude, he's like, he's got, he's got muscles under there, trust me. 
Uh, I've seen this dude swimming at camp and stuff, and I'm like, dang, man, I wish I looked like that. But anyway, so uh, I had to use you as an example. No, I appreciate you helping me out with that. Uh, but, but when we start in Daniel, I want you to recognize that this is how old he is. He's, he's a young guy. And I, I, I got to give you the backstory here. So we're about 605 years to, six, to 535 years before Christ. That's the time period that's recorded in Daniel. So this is a long time before Jesus ever appears on the scene, okay? It's a long time, some five, six hundred years before Jesus ever shows up. And what has happened is the Israelite people, God has, has sent them into captivity by the Babylonians, also known as the Chaldeans. That's the group of people, the Babylonians. It just kind of refers to the place. But anyway, so that's where they are. They've been sent hundreds of miles away from their, their, their homeland, and now they're kind of in captivity uh, by the Babylonians, and they're kind of like, I mean, just, it's a difficult situation, right? So sometimes God has to do this in our lives. He has to, he has to allow things to, 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 to cause us to be captive so that he can grab our attention and say, you know what, you need me, you desperately need me, and you need to come back to me. And God allows that kind of stuff to happen in our lives. And I want you to know that, and that is what we're supposed to see when we see the Israelites being captive to this other group of people. So here we are. And what has happened here is that these people have been captured by the Babylonians. And what they have to do is they're going to have a bunch of Israelites, a bunch of Jews in a foreign land. So what they want to do is they want to get some of these young, attractive, very smart, very intelligent, well-built men to like... They want to raise them up as Babylonians, more in the Babylonian culture, so they can kind of be in control of the Jewish people. That people will say, okay, these are some of my native people, so I'll listen to them. So what they would do is they would go and they would, they would take a few of these young men and they would train them up in the Babylonian ways so that they would kind of be in charge of the Jewish people and they could oversee them while they were in this captive land. Does that make sense? Y'all are looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. Does that make sense? Does that Go through that too fast. So they, they were just grabbing some guys saying, hey, we're going to put you in charge of some of your Jewish people, but we're going to train you up in our ways. So that's what's going on here. So there, there's three guys in addition to Daniel um, that, what were you going to say? Willie, you, did you read ahead? Did you read ahead? <laughs> Look, pay attention to me for right now, okay? We'll read. I promise you we're going to get there. Now, what were their names? No, it was Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, right? That was their Jewish names. Now, you might know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I want you to remember those names next time. I call, I'm calling on you, okay? Hananiah, Mishael, don't you love Simple Church, and Azariah. So... So these are some young, attractive, well-built, ripped-up dudes. And I mean, like, so everybody's going back. You're thinking about Joseph. I mean, Joseph, he was, you know, he was a ripped-up, good-looking dude, right? You know, Potiphar's wife, she tried to grab a hold of him. He ran out naked, you know. But I mean, like, anyway, so <laughs> every time I say the word naked from up here, it's like I get this weird silence that washes over the crowd, you know. But anyway, so, so this is young, attractive, smart guys, and they're, uh, they're trying to grab a hold of them and, and train them up in the Babylonian way so that they'll be in charge of the Jewish people and they'll uh, get them to submit and, and surrender to the Babylonians and they can be in control of them, right? So that's what's going on here. So uh, let, let's start in Daniel chapter 1. 
Beginning in verse 1, it says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That's a fancy word for they captured it, right? So besieged it, and the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and prevented him to take some of the sacred objects of the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the tre- treasure house of his God. So one of the things you've got to recognize here is that uh, the Babylonians, they worshiped other gods, false gods. Obviously, they weren't worshiping the one true God of the Israelites. They were worshiping tons of false gods. So we're going to get to that in just a minute because that actually plays in to the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thing that we're going to talk about in a minute. Willie will hang on just a second. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who have been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in, royal pal- in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and the, nature of, in the literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter into the royal service. So here's what's going on. So uh, the king has got these young men. And he's brought them in, and he says, all right, so you're going to eat from my table. You're going to drink my wine and eat from my food, and I, I, we're going to train you up. We're gonna, I know you're smart guys and all that, but we're going to train you up in the Babylonian ways, and, and, and you're actually going to be serving in my palace. And he says, okay, go. And he gives his, his chief of staff, you know, his right-hand man, he gives him the instruction, go and find these men and bring them back here, and let's, let's do this thing for three years is how long they're going to train them, Okay. So understand that where they are, these 13, 14, 15-year-old guys, and they're, they're being trained up and, and for three years. So the, by, by the time they're, quote-unquote, adults, 18 years old or so, then they'll be ready to go. So that's what's going on. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of the staff renamed them with these Babylonian names, Daniel, was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. Do you know why that's a big deal? You know, a lot of times we, we read names and we're like, ah, it's just names, right? Like, it's not really a big deal, it's just names. Typically, if you'll pause for just a minute and you'll actually dig a little bit, and this is what I encourage you to do when you read the Bible, listen to the Holy Spirit, and as things kind of jump out at you, Dig into it a little bit. Research. Read what people say about it. Commentaries on the Bible. People, there's tons of people that have, have, have dug into this stuff before, and you can, you can glean stuff from them. You can go and read what they've said, and you can learn a lot of stuff. So the big deal about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know what the big deal is? The big deal is the fact that, that they were actually given names that were attached to the Babylonian gods. These new names that they, they were given are attached to Babylonian gods. Now, these are guys that, that, are, that are devout to their, their one true God, the God of Israel. They are devout to, to that God, and now they're going to put a name associated with them that actually has the name of false gods attached to it. So they're getting brand new names. Now, think about this. It's like kind of brainwashing them to a degree. You know, Every single time somebody says their name, it's going to remind them of a Babylonian god. Because they know what those names mean. So one of the things that they tried to do to to get them into submission was they renamed them. 
And you have to understand, too, that uh, in, in that culture and in that time, your name was a big deal. It, it established what tribe you were from. It established, um, you know, people just kind of knew by your name. They knew a lot of stuff about you. They knew kind of how devout you were. And they understood things about your relationship with God based on your name. And they look at your name and they would say, okay, this is of the family of here and this is the family of there. And this is what their lineage looks like. And now they've taken all that away from them. And they said, we're going to give you a new name. We're going to give you a new name. And this is what we see right here with these four guys. And they're being, they've been captured. So, so remember that they're, they're being taken off to a far land, faraway land. And it's almost like they're trying to erase their memory of who they used to be. They're giving them a brand new name. Now look at this in verse 8. This is, this is where it gets interesting. Now, let's look at it. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to him by the king. Defile. Daniel was determined not to be defiled. All right, so let's look at what's going on here. They were given new names. And they were taught in the Babylonian ways. And it's almost like they were good with that. Like that wasn't a big deal. That they could deal with that. They could remember who they were. They could remember what their, their names really were. And how they were part of the Jewish-Israelite culture. They could remember that. And then even teaching and learning. They could look and see what was being taught in the Babylonian ways. And they could look at that in the light of what God had taught them. And they still could, could keep themselves pure, Right? Just because they had changed their names, just because they had taught them some other stuff, didn't necessarily defile them. There's nothing in Old Testament scripture that says that you can't learn other stuff or your name can't be changed. Yes, it was hurtful to them, and yes, they didn't necessarily like it, but it's almost like they accepted that. But when it came to what they ate, that's what mattered. You're like, wow, okay, what they ate. You know, they had to eat kosher food. I know that about Jewish people. They had to eat kosher food. What's the big deal, man? What's the big deal? I'll tell you what the big deal is. God had given the Israelites very specific things about what they should eat and what they should not eat. What they should eat and what they should not eat. Now, I need to tell you this a little bit, okay? A lot of people wonder, why, why, did, why did God, why could you not eat this and why could you eat that? And, I mean, what, what's the big deal there? I don't understand. What's the big deal about what you ate? Why were the Jewish people being given by God specific instructions? Have you ever wondered that? Why, were they, why could they not eat certain things? Did you, did you ever think about that? Surely somebody has. Like, yeah, I've, I've thought, why, why could you not eat certain things? It was not so much for their diet or to keep them, keep them healthy. Yes, it did have that side effect. And yes, it was good. I think God was preserving his people through that, telling them to stay away from things like pork, for example, that could be potentially hazardous to them if they didn't cook it the right way. And that, that was part of it. But I think a majority of it was this. To keep them separated so that they would be unique. Now, you have to understand something about their culture. One of the things about mealtime is that it was very much a time of socialization, kind of like it is for us, right? So one of the reasons we have food here on Sunday nights for small groups is because you know, that's what Christians like to do. We like to eat. That's part of socializing is, is us eating together, right? Well, you have to understand it was very similar in their culture that, that mealtime was a time to connect with other people. It was a time to socialize and get to know one another. It was a time to blend, if you will. Well, God 
repeatedly tried to show the Israelites he did not want them to blend. He did not want their religion, their relationship with God. He did not want that watered down with all these other religions that man had made. He wanted to keep it pure. It had to be kept pure, so that's what God was doing. So one of the things about what they ate was that they had to look different. They couldn't just sit down with anybody and eat, could they? They couldn't just go over here and have a meal with so-and-so to socialize with them because they couldn't eat what they were eating. They had to eat special food according to God's law. And it was so important to them that, that Daniel says, I can't be defiled by eating something that God's word says that I shouldn't eat. Now imagine if you and I as Christians took God's word so seriously that that's exactly the way we are. Now, am I telling you that there are certain things that you can't eat and certain things that you can't? No, no, no. God clears that up in the New Testament for us. But what I am saying is this, that we are to be separated. We're supposed to be set apart in how we behave and how we act and how we look. And we talked about this a good bit on Wednesday nights and how we are supposed to look different. As Christians, as, as people of God, we're supposed to look different. Even when we sit down to meals, we're supposed to look different. Now, I can tell you, I have firsthand experience with this. When I go to dinner with colleagues from work, maybe I'll be in another country, or maybe I'm in Chicago or Los Angeles or wherever, they say, oh, we're going to order a bottle of wine. Happens all the time. Now, is there anything in God's Word that says I can't drink wine? No, there's not. There's not. But this is an opportunity for me to be set apart as a Christian for my faith to show through my life. And I say, no, I'll just have a glass of water. I'll just have a glass of water. And inevitably, sometimes, somebody will ask me, hey, man, you don't drink wine? It's like, no. No, I just believe that that I want to keep my mind clear, and I don't want to be foggy, because I believe that's what glorifies God. And that's why I don't drink. It's an opportunity for me to use my testimony. It's an opportunity for my faith to be shown. That's what it is. I mean, and am I telling you it's sinful to drink? It's not. It's sinful to be drunk, and I'll, I'll, I could show you that in Scripture, but it's not sinful, sinful for you to drink. But I choose to. Because I believe that God would have my faith to be shown every single time that I possibly can. And I, I want that. I want that to be part of my testimony. So that's what I choose to do. I want my mind to be clear. So if I have the opportunity to share my faith and talk about God, I don't want it to be clouded by alcohol. I also don't want my inhibitions to be lowered. I want to be clear. That's the reason I choose not to drink. So here, Daniel says, I'm not going to be defiled. By eating your food or drinking your wine. Now, is there anything in Old Testament Scripture that says you can't drink wine? Anything in there? No, there's not, right? So what's the deal there? So I've read several different people and what they say about this, why he didn't drink the wine. I mean, he could have he not eaten their food, but he could have drank the wine, right? But he says, I'm not going to eat your food or drink your wine. I believe also that this points to what we just talked about, the culture and, and to be socializing with those people and doing what they're doing, Daniel wanted to be set apart. Now, maybe he had taken a Nazarite vow, which Nazarite vow means that they were extra. <laughs> they were just extra, okay, to use a, a teenage term. They were extra, right? So that means that they kind of went above and beyond just because they wanted to be set apart even more. They wanted to be connected with God even more. Therefore, they took the Nazarite vow. 
which had certain requirements to them, but also meant that they could not drink, so they, they chose not to. Maybe that's the reason that Daniel did it, but I think more than anything, it's just because he wanted to be set apart. He didn't want to look anything like the Babylonians when it came to what he ate or what he drank, what he put into his body. So he went above and beyond just the food, and he said, I'm not going to drink the wine either. And that's where we, we see Daniel and his guys. He asked the chief of staff permission not to eat the unacceptable foods, but... Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Now, notice, Daniel is the writer of this, right? So, Daniel is talking about the fact that he gives credit to God. God has, has shown them favor, and God has, has, it says, now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. He's saying that God has caused this man to have affection for us. But he responded, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. So here the, the chief of, of staff is talking to Daniel. He's like, I, look, if I, if, I don't cause, if I don't make you guys eat this stuff and you start to wilt away, it's going to be in my head. So he had some self-preservation in mind there that, that I need to do this because my boss said I need to do that or it's going to mean my death. And I really, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't know how you feel about dying, Daniel, but for me... Not so much, not today. I like my head attached at the shoulders. I just, I like it that way. So, so here he is. He's talking to Daniel. And he's saying, look, I, I, I got to do it. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. So this is supposed to be a three-year-long period where they're learning and where, they're, where they're, 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 I'm sure they're working out. They're like, they're doing pull-ups and push-ups every day. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're, they're continuing to be strong and, and, and healthy and all that kind of stuff. For three years, that's supposed to happen. That They're supposed to eat from the king's table. He says, look, I'm just asking you for 10 days, man. Just for 10 days. You test us. You give us a shot to prove ourselves that, that we're not going to let this happen. It's not, it's not going to cause your head to be cut off. We're, we just want you to test us for a minute and see if, if, if us being undefiled and, and not eating of the food that we're being called to eat, if we will remain undefiled before God, that, that if we will remain strong and we'll remain healthy and we won't wilt away. I'm just asking you to test us. And he said, then make your decision in light of what you have seen. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed only vegetables instead of food and wine provided for the others. So Daniel... You know, there was all these requirements about they could eat this, they couldn't eat that, and they could eat, it had to be kosher, it, it had to be this, but it couldn't be that. And so Daniel just said, you know what? Just give us vegetables and water. We don't want the wine, we just want water. Just give us water and vegetables, and that's all we'll eat for 10 days. Now, this, this is a big deal, right? I want you to know that, that some people are like, well, if I fast for 10 days, and I eat vegetables and drink water, then that will put me closer to God. That's not the truth, okay? That's ridiculous to think that. 
There is a time for fasting. I believe that. And if you choose to fast by, by eating vegetables and drinking water, that's fine. That's for you to draw closer to God. That's one thing. But to say that you're going to find favor with God because you took the Daniel fast, it's not the case, okay? You understand that fasting is a time for you to do that secretly, quietly, and nobody should know that you're fasting. And by the way, you are supposed to fast if you're a Christian. There are times when you should not eat. And I won't go into that again because many of y'all have heard my spiel on this, but, but there are times when you should not eat in order to draw closer to God, that you should say that, God, you are the most important thing to me. Nothing else matters. And every time my stomach growls, I want to think of you. I want to think of how I desperately need you, and you are all that I need. And that's the reason that we fast. But here, Daniel and his guys, they're saying, we want to fast so that you can see that our God is going to take care of us. He's putting himself on the line, isn't he? He's putting himself way out there. So they accepted the, the names, they accepted the teaching, but now when it comes to the food, they said, no, that's, that's where we draw the line. That's not going to happen because God's word says no, therefore I will not do it. Now, if, if the king would have his chief of staff beheaded for them not eating it or drinking what they were supposed to, Imagine what's going to happen to these Israelites who said, no, we ain't going to do what you told us to do. Do you think that the king would even hesitate for a second to cut off their heads? Do you think that he would even pause for a minute to go, I don't know if I should do that or not. He wouldn't care about the Israelites or even these four young men. He wouldn't give a rip about them. If they don't want to do what I said, then cut off their heads. Get, get us some more guys. There's some other young, good-looking guys out there. Go get some more. Imagine a 14-year-old boy. Now, I want you to think about something here. He has been taken away from his family, from a lot of the other Jews. Now, now remember, he's been, he's been put in the king's palace, and he's being raised up. So he's kind of like the upper echelon of the society right now in Babylon. He's, he's, he's doing some cool stuff. You know what went away? His accountability to the other Jewish people, because now man, they could have just made a little, hey, there's four of us, hey, y'all. We're going to eat the king's food, and we ain't going to tell nobody, all right? Y'all good with that? Y'all good with that? I mean, you know, if we don't, we're probably going to die. But, uh, so let's just, let's just eat the food and drink the wine. What do you think, guys? Ain't nobody back home going to know about it. Mom and daddy ain't going to know about it. Family ain't going to know about it. Brothers and sisters, the preacher ain't going to know about it. Ain't nobody going to know. Let's just... Do our own thing. What do you think, guys? You ever seen a Christian in that situation? You ever seen a Christian? That you, get, you get about four or five of them off together somewhere, maybe at the beach or somewhere, and all of a sudden it, the, 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 the conditions of their desire to be undefiled all of a sudden get dropped a little bit. You just get them outside of their, their, their normal accountability. You get them away from church, especially one Sunday or two, and you send them off to the beach, and what happens? We ain't going to tell nobody, right? It's just going to be us. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to find some girls. We're going to find some guys out on the beach. We're just going to kind of let that accountability slip for a little bit because uh, we're off away from mom and daddy. Ain't nobody here to see what we're about to do. It's 14-year-old guys. Their accountability has been taken away from them. And we're not talking about some terrible sin or something. We're talking about just eating food and drinking wine. I said, no, I'm not going to compromise. 
God's standard is still God's standard, and we're not going to waver from that. You know, as God's people, we're supposed to have that kind of stance, right? God's standard doesn't change just because we go to Los Angeles or New York or Austria. God's standard is still the standard, and we choose to do that. We choose to follow God's standard. Just because the accountability is taken away doesn't mean that God has been taken away. I was asked by somebody. They said, this is what was said. By a church staff member, this is what was said. So when you go to Los Angeles, do you drink? I said, uh, no, I don't drink when I go to Los Angeles. I said, everybody there does, and nobody would look at me. They wouldn't even think anything about it if I drank there. It wouldn't even... I said, but I still choose not to. I said, because I believe God's still in Los Angeles too. I mean, this is, a, this is an actual, I'm not making this up. This is an actual conversation that happened. And this person said, well, I guess he is in Los Angeles somewhere, right? That's like, well, yeah, that's kind of funny. I get what you're saying there. But the standard doesn't change just because the accountability has gone away. And here are these 14-year-old guys saying, we're not going to waver. We're going to do what God has called us to do. and We're going to stay the people we've always been. No matter what happens externally around us, no matter how our environment changes, we're going to stay the people God has called us to be. You recognize that that's the way we're supposed to be, right? Do you compromise? Do you compromise when your environment changes? Or, or what about relationships? This happens to be one of the biggest places you see Christians compromise. Well, I don't know if he's a Christian. I think, I mean, he goes to church every once in a while, but uh, that's all right. I'll, I'll date him still, and maybe he'll come around. Maybe he'll look like a Christian, act like a Christian, talk like a Christian. He doesn't right now, but maybe that's what will happen. Standards fall. Unequally yoked. Yeah, that's just what the Bible says, you know. But I'm just a teenager. I'm just a kid. I'm just an adult, and there's really not a lot of guys out there. Standards fall. We go off somewhere. We get away from the church crowd. We know we're not going to be encountering anybody that we see from church. We've gone off to, to a different state. We've gone to the beach. Things are different now. Standards fall. Standards fall. I had a friend of mine that told me this. He said, can you imagine how different our lives would be if every single place that you went, you had to carry around a Bible? Can you imagine? Do you think that would prevent you from doing some of the stuff that you, you do? Can you imagine? I mean, you look down and there's God's Word in your hand. The standard hasn't changed. I'm just going to continue to hold on to this Word. These young men were determined not to compromise themselves. Not to defile themselves, they said, because God said no. What it means in my heart is that I'm going to say no. And they did not compromise. They did not waver from what they knew to be true, no matter what happened around them. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel a special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. Sounds a lot like Joseph, doesn't it? Now, a lot of people talk about having favor with God. And I, I want to talk to you for just a second about that before we conclude tonight or this morning. It's not nighttime. It feels like nighttime in here. 
Before we conclude, I want to talk about having favor with God. Now, some people say this in general terms, and sometimes I'm not even really sure what they mean by it. They just, you know, uh, they, they just talk about be, being favored by God. I want you to think a second about Joseph, and I want you to think about these four young men. Joseph was in prison. Joseph was in prison, right? For a crime he did not commit. These guys were taken into captivity, and they were exiled from their homeland and from their family and everybody they knew and loved, and they were taken into captivity. Is that what you consider to be favored by God? It sounds like a pretty rough lifestyle. It sounds like it's not exactly something that, that everybody would necessarily want to have happen to them. I'd rather stay with my family. I'd rather not be in prison. But because these young men would not compromise, because they have said, this is what I'm going to do. And you remember Joseph, man, he continued to do the right thing. No matter what happened to him, he continued to do the right thing. And here Daniel and these three other guys, they continue to do the right thing. And because of that, they are favored by God. What does that mean? What does that mean? Is that God gave them special abilities, special unique abilities to be able to do certain things so that God's purpose can be accomplished. When you talk about having favor with God, do you think about what has happened for me or what has happened for God? When you talk about special gifts and abilities and unique things that you can do that God has given you, is it for you or is it for Him? Now, I want you to understand this. These special, unique gifts, these favor, this favor that these men had with God, it was so that God's purpose could be accomplished. That's the true meaning of a spiritual gift. It's not so that you can do something special and everybody can look at you and be in awe of you. No, it is so God's purpose can be accomplished. So that you can use those gifts to accomplish what God has set you out to accomplish. And that is what is going on with these young men. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. And no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians or enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. So the chief of staff brings them to, uh, to the king now. Chief of staff brings them in front of the king and says, here's what's going on with these guys. For 10 days, they ate nothing but vegetables and drank water. And they, they said, test us to make sure that what we, were, what we were telling you to do would show that God is in control. And what happened? Not only did God sustain them through that period of fasting, but God gave them special abilities so that when they stood before the king, they looked different than all the rest. They didn't look like everybody else. As people of God, the biggest thing that we're supposed to do, 
The number one thing that we're supposed to do so that our testimony can be seen is that we don't look like everybody else. We look different. We look set apart. We look unique. That word in God's word is called holy. Holy. So many times as people... We feel like we need to fit in. We feel like we need to look like everybody else. And sometimes we'll do it in the name of Jesus and say, I need to fit in with so-and-so so that I can win them to God. I don't believe that to be the case. Do I think that you should love them? Do I think that you should care about them? Do I think that you should talk to them? Do I think that you should get down on their level and say, I know where you are coming from? Yes, I absolutely believe that. If you think about Jesus with the woman at the well, that's exactly what he did with her. He just got down there and talked to her as a normal person. But did he compromise? Did he, did, he, did he act like her? Did he act like he was just a normal Jew walking around? Or when she gave him the opportunity and said, there's this Messiah coming. There's this, there's this unique one out there. He says, I'm, I'm him. I'm, I'm the one you're talking about. You see, we're given the opportunity. We're given the opportunity to be set apart, to be unique, and to be different. That is not a curse. That is a blessing. Because I promise you at the end of your life, when you're laying there on your deathbed and you're trying to think about Jesus Christ and will I spend eternity in his kingdom, and you're thinking about the past things that have happened in your life, and you're looking back and you're recounting things that happened in your life, do you want to look like everybody else? Or do you want to look more and more like Jesus? You say, you know what, I messed up a lot. But in my heart, I was trying my best to honor God with my life. See, I think at that point in time, you won't want to look like everybody else. I think you'll want to look like somebody who is repentant, somebody who loves Jesus, and somebody who is ready to take that next step from this life to the next, to stand in front of God and to have Him judge your heart. You don't start that two days before you die. You start that today. Start that today. Say, I am determined not to be defiled. I am determined to honor God with my life. I'm determined to do what God has said I should do. And that's what I'm going to do. And nothing is going to shake, shake me from that. Even if my life is on the line, nothing is going to shake me from that. Even if looking weird or looking different is on the line, nothing's going to shake me from that. That's what God's called us to do. You want to have favor with God? You want to have special abilities, supernatural gifts, spiritual gifts that God has given you? You want to enjoy all the riches that exist with being moved by the Holy Spirit and, and God showing you things and challenging you with things and, and working on your heart? You want all those things? Then be committed. Be undefiled. Be unwavering in your faith and belief that this word is true. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much, God, for the testimony of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. God, I, I praise your name for them. God, the, though they were foreigners, God, in this land of Babylon where they had been taken into captivity, though they were foreigners, though they were different, God, they were chosen for a special purpose. God, and though they were chosen for a special purpose, God, their faith was tested. 
they were tested as to whether or not they would, they would turn their backs on you and do something else or if they would remain undefiled. And God, they chose, these young men, 14, 15-year-old men, chose to remain undefiled. God, I pray that we would be like that. We'd be people that are so committed to following you and to following your word and following your truth that, God, nothing would shake us from that. Now, there are many things that could make us slip in that regard. Relationships. God, temptations around us because of our environment. God, there's so many things. Our places of work, it's so easy to fall into that that trap of doing what everybody else is doing. But God, you called us to be set apart. I pray that we'd be set apart. Your Holy Spirit convicts us of things. Your Holy Spirit is moving and showing us things. God, I pray that we would be responsive to that. We would follow those convictions that you put in our hearts for a reason. And people would see that and they would see your son Jesus. God, that's what we desire. We want people to see Jesus in our lives. We want our light to so shine before men that people see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. God, that's our desire. So, Lord, no matter where people are today, I pray that they would come. They would just come to you and say, God, I hadn't been doing it right. I, I just, I haven't been doing it right. And today, I want to make a commitment to you to do it right. Some people here that aren't Christians. God, I know I know, God, it's hard. It's hard to take that step out there. I know it's hard to say I'm ready to be set apart. I'm ready to be different. I know that that's a difficult thing. This is what I know. This is what I know. It's the greatest joy to to know that we're in your kingdom. It's the greatest joy to know that even though hardships will come and difficulties will come, that, God, we got the promise of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, that reassures us that we are sealed to the day of redemption. So, God, please... Speak to people now. Through your Holy Spirit, speak. God, may you be honored by our response to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone stand?